Sometimes you get lucky and your game is an instant hit without investing in growth. For everyone else, there's IronSource. IronSource is a game tech company which builds technologies that helps you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is the perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor Fund are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, that's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. But what is attribution platform? Why do we need it? And why is AppsFlyer the best in the business? Brian Murphy, head of games at AppsFlyer. Can you answer these questions? Sure. Uh, right now, marketing budgets are being impacted. Uh, so the need for strong attribution and measurement partners is critical. Marketers should be focusing on what's working best. So mobile measurement and attribution partners who help provide uh, those insights are even more important. Mobile attribution platforms determine which campaigns, partners, and channels delivered each app install, and marketers rely on these insights to measure and optimize their marketing performance for both user acquisition and retargeting campaign. With one trillion in-app events measured each month, AppsFlyer is the most robust technology platform and mobile measurement partner for any game developer to distribute and engage their application to a worldwide consumer base. Our scale and data insights provide customers with unique ability to make informed marketing decisions. In short, AppsFlyer gives you the data and tools to market your games effectively. So there you have it, folks. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself one of the best attribution platforms out there. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of UA Coffee Talk. Today we have a special edition, which is kind of like Ask the Experts, and by experts I mean John Lau and Nebo Radovich. But joining us today is actually Josh from Wildcard. And Josh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your company and your situation. Yeah, um, first though, thank you guys so much for taking time to talk to me today. Um, I, I love the UA Coffee Talk segment. It provides a lot of insightful content um, that, frankly, I haven't gotten anywhere else. And just watching it, um, I remember one of my first big insights was um, you guys trashing D7 ARPU and D7 ROAS. That was like a big breakthrough in my head. So yeah, it's, it's like actually changing the way that I've been um, approaching this. So that's really cool. Uh, so I'm hoping this is going to be kind of really valuable today. Um, so in terms of what, what Wildcard is, the business, um, we are all about reimagining kind of classic card games for mobile. Our audience is um, older and heavily concentrated in uh, North America, and there is this massive nostalgia factor. So as families grow, these games that they played together as a kid, whether it's cribbage, gin rummy, um, uh, spades, things like that, they become harder to play together because the kids are now in different states or different countries. Um, or even just at school. Um, so they're, um, they're, they're looking to play those games. And we're really competing in the card game vertical, but also against um, board and word. Um, our current flagship is um, Ultimate Cribbage. 
And what's cool about that, taking a step back, is in the, in the multiplayer card kind of sub-vertical within card, there's melding games like Gin Rummy, and then there's trick-taking games like Spades. And Cribbage is amazing because it's neither of those. So it requires a lot of thinking, um, and it's just really puzzly and fun. So the reason for this conversation um, is because we've, we've had some level of success with user acquisition, um, and predictably, there's a lot of growing pains. Um, we started off just running a couple hundred dollars a day on Facebook because that's super easy. Um, it's really easy for us because we make classic games, so we can do an interest lookalike where it's like people who like cribbage, and that's super effective. The audience size is like 50K, so that gets used up pretty quick. So we had to scale and scale and scale and add new platforms. And over time, it, you really need to be a UA expert. So that's kind of the context behind this conversation. Great. So in terms of like specific questions, can you kind of help, help us understand to the extent that you're able to share some of the data, like what does your kind of, if you can describe what your marketing campaigns kind of looks like today to the extent that you can share. And yeah. then, you know, we can dive into like any feedback from Nebo and, and John about specific issues. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so we're still primarily running on Facebook. We also have a little bit um, and growing really, really fast on Google. And then just some low hanging fruit on the SDK networks like Lungle, um, uh, Unity ads and app loving and stuff like that. Really the focus though is right now it's still on Facebook. Um, so the way our campaigns are structured is we don't really use any kind of bid caps. We're mostly using just daily spend thresholds, really heavily targeting 1% um, lookalikes, 1% BB lookalikes, um, and targeting US, Canada, and um, a little bit of the UK. But that gets used up pretty quick for us too. Um, surprisingly, so even though we're about 85 to 90% ad revenue, um, AEO and VO is working fantastic for us. Even just straight up purchase VO, uh, purchase AEO um, and, and VO, it works really well. So the way we're kind of structuring that is we're kind of creating new lists every week and every month um, and trying to find new things that work um, on the audience side. Then on the creative side, we're working with a fantastic agency, um, consumer acquisition. And I mean, I really, in terms of the top performers, to me, it sticks out that them and Bidalgo are the two that are most interesting that we okay. kind of considered the most heavily. And CA produces about 10 to 12 videos for us a month. And they have a really strong testing process where we start in India with a small budget and just try to screen out the creatives. Um, then we promote it to Canada. And then if it works, um, we promote it to the US. So that, that's our high level strategy. Um, and, there are definitely some, oh, go ahead. Oh, and how are you, how are you determining your, your kind of daily spend today mm. or your, your budget? Is that, is that off of a DX RAS target or how, how are you? Yeah, doing? yeah. Um, so that's one of the questions I actually have for you guys. So okay. that's gonna be a fun conversation. But the way we're doing it right now is we know that we wanna be breaking even between D90 and D120 on our ad spend, not total CAC, uh, just ad spend. Um, and what we've done is we are responsible internally at Wildcard for synthesizing a D7 target by OS and media source for that. And then CA is responsible for creating the D1, D3 kind of targets to get to that. 
we've seen that there are, you know, even within a media source, there can be some changes for us. So like VO matures differently than MAI. So they're responsible for getting to their D7, but we're responsible, but if the D7 is wrong, that's on us. Okay, so, so just to be clear with consumer acquisition, you're not just using them for creatives, you're also, they're also advising. Yeah, they're running the UA. Oh, they um, are, okay. Yeah, so we're, we're, they're driving a huge portion of that as well. Okay. Nemo and John, what do you think? Channels, approach, any thoughts? Initial thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I have a few things um, that I wanted to share initially. It's like, uh, first of all, I wanted to cover like card games in general. Um, what's good about card games is they, there's actually organic demand for them. So, you know, there are people who are potentially searching for cribbage and that's not really the case with a lot of like, especially mid core to core titles, unless they're kind of big IP or big brands. Uh, so I think what for games that have like a strong organic demand, it does make sense to like pay special attention to ASO. It does make sense to potentially try preloads and just like, uh, you know, try a super kind of low cost, low quality channels that could work for games that are well known. So think about like Tetris that network publishes or, uh, or I don't know, like uh, you mentioned Jim Rami and Spades and Solitaire, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think it's really smart to focus on these like old card games because of that, because that ultimately lowers your CAC and you can, you can be more aggressive on the CPI front. I mean, there are studios like Triple Studios who almost solely focus on these kind of like evergreen games that, uh, that, monetize, that monetize well enough and, you know, combined with kind of the organic installs, you can, you can turn them into very successful businesses. And uh, one thing that you mentioned, one more thing is that, you know, you mentioned just like lookalikes and, uh, and you know, like refreshing those uh, uh, audiences on a weekly basis. I think for games that do have organic demand, it does make sense to work with interest and in the keyword targeting, uh, just because there is an actual interest card games that you can target. So th these are kind of like top of the mind things for me. And um, I wanted to like us to maybe cover like uh, the how like, uh, VO and AO and MAI impact games that uh, that have that monetize with ads because I think that's interesting, and uh, in line with uh, and it's in line with like D7 Ross and why it sucks. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, maybe, maybe maybe I could ask you a question real quick. So yeah. for these other networks, how should Josh be thinking about the amount of budget that he should um, be spending against those in order for him to? to definitively determine whether it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, real, a, a little hard to say because with, uh, when you, like AU and VR for lazy people, they do work really well, but it's like, you know, it's not really hardcore UA. It's not like really going and like, kind of like trolling for whales. It's more like just, hey, look, bring me payers and that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. So the thing when your game is ad monetized, it's like the LTV curve of AO and VO players is significantly different than what's the case for MAI players and rewarded video network players. And then you need to like spend enough money to understand what that LTV curve looks like. And, and then based on that, you should like invest as much money as you can, as long as it hits your day 90 payback, right? So, right. so what's likely happening is that D7 ROS is significantly higher in AO and VO, right? And then by like day 30, MAI and rewarded video take over because the yeah. cost is the cost plays a very important role for ad monetized games. And you know, if you're like if your CPI is like a dollar on rewarded video and MAI and it's like four dollars on AEO, you kind of have to be very kind of cautious about the CPI because 
after 30 days, it's likely that monetization takes over and it grows pretty slowly. It grows steadily, but it takes like 300 days to pay back like a dollar, right? So that's what's, ha what's happening. And paying back like a dollar or $3 after 30 days makes a huge difference. So, so that's kind of like uh, what's happening here, what's likely happening here. That, that, that's a great insight, thank you. And that's pretty good, um, pretty good guesses on your part too. And Josh, how, how long has this game been operating? It's actually been operating for, for a very long time. So we first launched it all the way back in 2016. Um, it was the first Unity game we ever did. Um, and actually it almost started scaling in the last six to 12 months yeah. um, because of some of the backend technology that we built that allowed us to um, really run A-B tests kind of nonstop and be measuring our ARPU curve for those A-B tests yeah. at an impression level um, granularity. And we started right. doing that and we started hitting these just massive ARPU growth curves. So really it's been the last six months we've been spending on UA heavily for it. Right, but at least I would say you have a very long historical record, right, in terms of data. You can see where you can, you, you'll, you'll have a lot of data against a long-term ARPU curve. And so mm -hmm. when you have been coming up with your payback windows to date, how have you been determining that? Is, is it based upon where you're looking at where it flattens out and you're trying to build in a margin for yourself of, of you know, a certain percentage or how have you been thinking about that? that? That's a fantastic question. And it's one of the most frustrating things actually about um, growing ARPU really rapidly is so we put a lot of effort into measuring out our curve by country and media source with a lot of variables for about a year out to D180 so that we could measure that. And I started to really start to buy against that aggressively and it was really helpful. And we had these really different targets for like iOS, US, Google versus Canada, Android, Facebook. And then we started growing and we started running these A-B tests. Um, and I remember the test it was, it was we tested um, dramatically cranking up how many initials we showed and it was bonkers. It, what it did was it boosted our um, our day one ARPU by over 100%. And it boosted our D30 when we measured it out by like 40%. And then just a couple months ago, we measured it out to D90 and it's like 20%. And the net effect was that the whole time that we were buying on the, our, our historical data, we didn't realize that, oh my gosh, our ARPU curve is fluctuating like crazy. Because frankly, we're resolving a test almost every two weeks that has a net five to 10% on our D30. And actually it introduces a lot of uncertainty to the, to the modeling process. So, you know, one of our questions is in real time, you know, say we're running an ARPU test and we've measured a 30 cent um, measured boost to D30. Is that, you know, a 10% boost to the whole curve or is it just a 30% boost to the whole curve or is it a 30 cent boost to D30 that degrades to a penny or even negative by D90? Um, and maybe that's worth it because it moves the payback period forward, maybe it doesn't. But it means that it's really hard for us to use historical data when we're small and growing rapidly. If you've been at scale and mature for six months or a year, your ARPU um, data is fantastically valuable. Um, and for us, we can do things like generate lists, but um, 
using it to actually create fantastic targets has been more difficult for us. So what we've done instead is take a blended approach where we are trying to look at those old models, um, but also be constantly projecting forward our most recent D30 data out to um, our target break-even, which is D120, yeah. and try to understand where we think the curve is going as opposed to where it is. Definitely easier said than done. Yeah, I'm um, sorry, Josh, you, you kind of lost me a bit because I'm, oh, okay. I'm not as smart as Nebo and, and John. But, yeah. Uh, so you're, you're seeing a lot of variability in terms of your ARPU curves. And is that based upon like the same targeting, same geos based upon different- So we're changing the game. That's that you're, sorry? So we're changing the game. So an example right. would be like, if you go from showing interstitials every eight minutes to every two minutes, I think. Um, even if it ends up being net LTV, like that right. theoretical number positive, yeah. It's going to change the shape of your curve because you're going to make more money up front and less long term. Yeah. Okay. So when you're resolving tests like, like, like nuts, um, yeah. your curve doesn't stay accurate long enough for you to really be buying on it. Um, yeah. You know, if you're netting a three five percent ARPU gain a month, maybe maybe not. Um, but our targets uh, for monthly growth are fifteen twenty percent a month still. One, one quick comment I had uh, regarding your earlier question um, is that looking at some of your user data, your demographic overlaps you know, heavily with not only card games, but like the match three puzzle games and, and a lot of slots as well, right? So that audience traditionally can be relatively expensive. Um, and when you're running a VO and AEO and to Nebo's point, the upfront cost is incredibly expensive because typically it's more meant for games where there are large purchasers, you know, whales uh, that can come in and really float the entire uh, audience size. Now, my concern with those is that they're, they're never going to be consistent, right? So you could be running VO, it's working great for you, and then for a quarter and the next quarter, all of a sudden, AEO is doing better, despite the fact that VO is supposed to be the premium. With a admonetized game and a potentially even a lower um, ARPU kind of like payer game, um, I'm always worried about cost. I'm always worried about that CPI. And and you can look at it two ways. Like, do you, if you're, you're base, basing your performance on paid only, it's going to be very, very, very difficult for you to achieve that payback if you're, if a majority of your campaigns are in the VO or AEO bucket because the CPI is so high. But then you also, and if you're the other way where you're okay with a blended outlook uh, to, to look at your recoup, um, it's also very dangerous because you could all of a sudden like have a, a heavy emphasis of, oh, I need X number of organic in order to achieve a break even within that time. So I do agree a lot with Nebo's strategy of looking closer at how you could uh, utilize interest targeting to help lower down your initial cost. That's one. Um, ASO strategies is definitely a must given that organic traffic. I, I agree with that because that's uh, the commonality of looking for card games. But when you're testing outside of that, where, where would you say have been working 
well for you outside of the Facebook? What, what has worked really, really well in terms of both scalability and performance outside of Facebook? That's a great question. Um, so really what's worked great for us in terms of scalability is actually right what you guys are saying. Um, it's those keywords. It's that low cost Google text um, and uh, Apple search. Those have both been fantastic. We've been able to get um, good performance in other places, but nowhere near at that scale. Um, I have one question for you. So you said something about a, a blended outlook. Could you explain, uh, John, what that, what that means? Yeah, so some companies are okay taking organic revenue and blended that into your overall growth strategy in order for you to grow a little bit more aggressively. Um, but it, is, it can be a slippery slope when you become too heavily dependent on that organic growth in order to achieve whatever like LTV or CAC ratio that you need to maintain. Um, and and I, I'm not a big fan of it because you it, it makes it seem like your UA or your overall growth strategy is doing better than it is. But then I, I think even if you're going to go down that path, uh, it's important for you to really focus on paid only performance and see how that is actually evolving over time. John, we lost your video, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I went to the kitchen to get coffee. Okay, okay. I got my coffee as well, so it's a proper UA coffee. <laughs> yeah, so, so one question for, for you two is, um, so one thing that we've seen that was really, really interesting is, did you kind of take a step back first? So we use um, Mopub for mediation, and they have an impression level um, ad revenue reporting tool. It, it's fantastic. Um, and then in our mediation kind of um, waterfall, and we run programmatic too, but in our mediation waterfall, um, the, seat, the line item floors for, let's say, interstitial might range from $2 up to like $120. Um, and one thing that we saw when we switched from kind of average CPM reporting to actually reporting the impression level um, and seeing when there's like 120 CPM ad view versus $2, the VO and the AEO campaigns exploded, especially uh, on Facebook. Because what Facebook is saying with those AEO and VO bids is, hey, we know that user and we know they're worth a lot. So when they're in our game and we're requesting fan for an impression, they're willing to pay up pretty high for it. So I'm kind of curious to know if you're aware of that effect and if that still, um, you still feel that AEO and VO is kind of scary for yeah, primarily uh, ad-based games. Yeah, I actually wanted to piggyback on like John's point and talk about it. Um, I mean, like the, to your like previous, question probably from 10 minutes ago. I mean, I would model out uh, ad revenue at ad, ad LTV curve and like IP LTV curve differently uh, because what, what happened is when you, when you started doing AEO and VO, you're probably your like ad, C, like ad CPM skyrocketed because of AEO and VO. So what you really need to do is basically you need to have user level ad revenue to understand what's the value of each user and you know, what's the overall impact on, um, on, uh, on like uh, returns, really, not necessarily, uh, re not necessarily uh, uh, just campaigns, uh, because AEO and VO can help you monetize the existing users better and by like improving the ad CPMs. Uh, however, like that strategy is only kind of, it, it's a little tricky because you know they tend to cherry pick, so they don't really 
pay $120 for like 10% of your impressions, but probably for like one to 2%. So you kind of need to, that's why you need different LTV curves to understand what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, and then like based on those two, uh, you can make the decision on where to invest money. So maybe like AU and VO bring you like $120 impressions, but the overall impact or the incremental revenue you get from those is not like high enough to kind of offset the cost. So that's something you need to be aware of. Uh, but definitely having user level ad revenue is, is crucial. Um, and having like a header bidding partner like, uh, um, like Mopub or AppLovin or IronSource is, uh, is important because then you'll be able to understand that better. Um, and the last thing, one thing you might like learn over time is that low, co low CPI, uh, low cost uh, campaigns might still do better because the average CPM is kind of like higher than what it was before. And the risk profile is much better because like uh, your CPI is lower and then you can, uh, you can pay the money back sooner. So uh, the, the, re the reason why, why John mentioned what he mentioned about like the, the, the high cost of AOVO is that, you know, you end up feeling like very comfortable because your ad CPMs look good. And then suddenly your like CPI moves from $4 to $6 and you're pretty much fucked because your like long-term retention is not that good. And the last $2 stake, like, 2000 days to pay back. So, um, yeah. no, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's, uh, so Dan, uh, uh, the CEO of network, like he has this saying, like, you know, whenever someone's, if, if someone gave me a dollar, every time someone said like, Hey, we started spending more in VO and the cost is going up. Uh, he would probably be a millionaire because like, you know, VO can be very dangerous if you don't manage the cost properly. No, that's exactly right. Especially when you have a admons, a, monetized game like your your ltv it, uh, like uh, it is probably a long time significantly longer than let's say if you if, if you're looking at like someone who does midcore for example right so you really want that person to stay in your game as long as possible to generate those like to the 15 cents arp dow uh, on a daily basis um and and unfortunately that's that can also fluctuate right like depending on your country, depending on your user segments or where you're putting your ad, your, your ARP DAO on, on ad uh, revenue is, can be inconsistent. You have uh, competition, you have seasonality, you have a lot of different things that can impact that. So all of that will bake into, I'm assuming why you're seeing a lot of fluctuation. Uh, and, and if you throw a wrench like, VO costs skyrocketing or dropping like <laughs> on top of what is already very relatively volatile, I think is, is going to be very, very difficult to manage. I'm not saying that ad, ad revenue or app-based games are always very, very volatile, but I, I think there's a lot of things that can impact. Like um, I really like what you said earlier about changing the, uh, an interstitial ad interstitial every two minutes to eight minutes and how, or from eight minutes to every two minutes, how that impacts not only your upfront revenue, but potentially the lifetime of that user. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually very, very impressed that you're, you guys are thinking about these things. Awesome. Well, thanks. And actually, I feel like I'm learning a lot right now. I think my big takeaway, if I'm kind of getting this correctly, is um, there is definitely a hidden risk to the AEO and the VO campaigns. Um, and we should be looking at that, um, how they age out compared to MAI very carefully that is frankly something we're not doing right now. So that's honestly, you've given me my tasking for today. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just, that now. 
Yeah, basically the the graph I shared in that D7 Aras article is explaining that. I mean, I can share it real quick if you guys want to, yeah. um, just so you can see what it looks like. But it's, you know, with AO and VO, because they know players much better, like the LTV curve looks significantly different. And, and then the early data looks great. Um, while with, you know, MAI and potentially lower cost CPI channels, you might be able to, to achieve better results just because the cost is lower. And then, you know, over like 60 to 90 days, the, the things will look significantly different. Let me just load up the, the, the graph so I can brag about it. I guess while, while Nebo is pulling that up, I think that really big emphasis we have is really diversify. When, when you're scaling up, you know, to the level you're scaling up today and the reliance on AEO and VO to drive your business becomes a very, very risky proposition. And I have no good answer as like, what are the good channels for you to diversify into? You have to test and it's very, very game specific. But I can give you an example, right? At, at Play Studios at one point, our spend on, uh, our reliance on AEO, this is before VO, uh, was roughly about six seventy percent of our budget plus, right? And at one point, we looked at the entire portfolio and we're like, oh, wow, we can't, if, if anything were to happen, well, things were doing really, really well, but if anything bad were to happen, it could completely tank our entire marketing portfolio. And from that point, we made a marked effort to reduce our reliance on not only the, the AEO campaigns, but on Facebook overall so that we can leverage other channels because we know fundamentally you can get that user in in the ecosystem from a different medium it is much more difficult and <laughs> to Nebo's point it takes a lot more work but uh, they are out there and you can find them um, and yes initially when you're growing you can rely super heavily on Facebook because it is the requirement for entry is relatively easy right but as you mature, not only as a company, but as a growth marketer, you have to move out of that space. If you want to go kind of move forward into the next level, is look at other channels where it will require a lot more manual uh, work and, and thinking around how you want to strategize your campaign optimization. And when we're talking here about AEO and VO, we're mostly talking about AEO for purchase. Like you could like basically your focus should be on controlling the CPI and making sure it doesn't like skyrocket. So you could easily do like AEO for ad view, for example, or for like a certain engagement event that that could work really well. I'm gonna share my screen real quick, just so you can, you can see the graphs. So like basically it's these two graphs. So VO and AEO, what happens is like your early revenue looks really good and then things flatten out. I mean, it could be that also your game is not optimized for IP. And then when you're like, like solely relying on IP, you know, first 10, 15 days look really good. But then when there's like less content and then when people just stop spending, what happens is this LTV curve flattens. But like early seven days, like first seven days or first 14 days look pretty good. And like the LTV is growing pretty aggressively. But at the same time, you're kind of paying a pretty high cost for that. While with kind of like lower CPI strategy, like for traffic that's solely ad monetized, the LTV growth is much slower. But because of the lower cost as well, you might actually pay the money back sooner than what's the case with like VO and AEO because the cost is lower and then the CPI is fully paid back by ads. So that's something just to like have in mind. And that's why I think it's important to have ad LTV curve and IP LTV curves separate to understand what's the impact of each one of those on, on payback.
and then buy campaign, buy like optimization model, like mobile app install, AEO, VO, AEO for view it, or a rewarded video, et cetera, et cetera. Rewarded video network. So I'm talking too much. I'm going to stop sharing. Josh, one, one no, thing. That was I, fascinating. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Joseph, go ahead. Yeah, just kind of thinking out loud, but because you have a lot of historical data, and if your ARPU curves are jumping around, one thing you might want to consider, and you know, again, you know, John, you would check me if I'm wrong on this, is like maybe what you should be also doing is checking your uh, scale of spend against your ROAS target. So, like, for example, if you were to uh, evaluate what your um, D7 ROAS against the, your daily spend is, uh, sometimes what we see is we'll see like a, a, a like a uh, like a knee bend at a certain point of spend sometimes for some games oh. uh, but if you know if you're unsure about spend you might want to just you know sit <laughs> below the bend <laughs> but. that's good i hadn't even considered that okay that's a good idea awesome um Maybe in terms of like at more at the executional level, because I do think we've got, you know, actual, unlike me, we've got practitioners actually executing stuff. Uh, John and Ivo, do you guys have any thoughts in terms of like the, you know, like the ad format mix or creative types or things like that? Or maybe Josh, you can tell us how you're approaching that and then you can get some actual practitioner level advice. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so one, one of the big questions that I have is creative type. Um, statics are just crushing it for us right now. Um, they, I think we're at about 75% static in terms of spend. Um, but we're investing almost all of our effort into video production, um, under the hypothesis that when we find a video winner, it will outperform the best static. Um, we've invested a couple months in that strategy now and we're getting close, but we haven't really passed the performance yet. So I'm kind of curious to understand from, from you all especially on Facebook, is that a valid path? Or is there a point when you say like this, screw it, we're leaning in on statics, even though it's not um, what's supposed to work the best? Well, how come you think, um, and, and, and this is not critical, it's, I mean, it's a very, very curious, how come you think that uh, video will outperform static? That's a good question. Um, Frankly, um, I don't think I have a great answer for that. Um, the what we've seen over long periods of time is the um, videos tend to go stale a little bit slower. But I don't have any solid evidence that um, videos are going to outperform universally. I guess that was just my assumption, to be honest. Um, so the reason why I asked that is because I'm not. I don't know, and, and this could be very game specific, but I'm not convinced that like one format will drive better ROAS, for example, than another format necessarily, or bring you a better user than another user. What I think will change is the lifetime of the creative. Um, so a, a good video might last longer to your point than, than statics, but at the same time, you could probably knock out statics significantly faster than, than, than video. So I think if, if statics are working for you and they're working really, really well, I wouldn't worry too much about looking for that one video winner that's going to somehow be a game changer, but more focus on diversifying your creative mix so that you can 
elongate the lifetime of your overall creatives, right? So Nebo wrote an incredible Medium article about um, maintaining healthy IPMs and, and stuff like that. So I think if it were me, my focus would be about how can I maintain a higher average IPM of my overall creative mix rather than like one or two creative that's going to be a one year because like if you're chasing hits it's it's tough to know what's going to be a hit what's not and and then i i've had experience where uh things were a hit uh actually consumer acquisition was the one who made the video that made the hit that did really really well for us at play studios and when we first looked at it we thought this is not going to work at all it became a hit for a year our best performing creative for a year, right? So, so my, my, my point is you just don't know. So it's, it, instead of focusing, oh, let me just crank out a lot of videos and, and, and hope one of them is a winner, focus on just whatever your, 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 your average IPM is across your entire portfolio mix, making sure that you're maintaining that more consistently. I think that consistency is more important than one or two hits that's gonna somehow change the game for like a week and then everything kind of comes back down. All right, that, that's, in, that's awesome feedback because you've totally changed my perspective on it. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, my, my stance on this is that I think statics will only take you uh, so far. I think there's some limit because like most of the big advertisers are not really running statics or not at scale. And because you're spending now, like you're not spending like millions of dollars a month you can do that but uh, once you start spending more money you kind of have to fire from all weapons and then video needs to be part of your uh, uh, your creative mix uh, and you'll have to invest more in that particular ad unit I think good thing about statics at this scale is that it's e they're easy to kind of uh, produce and like it's pretty quick uh, but you know over time like as you start spending more, you'll have to create uh, video and like video ads and multiple dimensions of video ads to test like rewarded video specific sizes, uh, you know, news feed specific size, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, th I think you're now kind of, because of the scale, you, you can afford to just focus on statics and things that are working well. Also one thing that's interesting, we didn't talk much about it, but I did read the presentation you shared, like the, the audience that's playing these games is slightly older. And uh, I think because of that, they're kind of more responsive to ads than was the case. And when I say older, it's like 45, 50 plus. And they're more responsive to ads, ads in general than, you know, like 15 to 25 audience that don't, doesn't really look at any, any content anymore, just scrolls impulsively. Uh, so, so I think that's, uh, that's one, one reason why statics are working. It's because like the audience that you're going after is slightly more responsive to statics than what's the case with uh, potentially younger players. Uh, and maybe, yeah. Oh, I was gonna add like um, from a video perspective, um, one thing that has been helpful for, for me in the past, and it's something even today I'm, I'm, I'm still asking my creative team to do is focus more on potentially creating what I call micro videos. Right. So, so if you, and, and I actually stole this idea from, from Nebo, uh, in his article, uh, a while back. And so what I do now is instead of like, I, uh, telling my creative or motion graphic artist to say, Hey, give me a 15 second video. We actually shoot or create like multiple three to five second videos. And then from that, I create like 15 different iterations of it. 
and of course they have di their their different concepts. They focus on different things, and 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 then they focus on different either uh, focus on the product feature. Uh, some of them might focus on like the game itself, why it's fun. Uh, you might focus on like hey, there's a group play, you know. So from that aspect, you could actually do a very little sh like actual video production uh, on uh, on set but have a lot more value in what you create that can help you create a lot of different combinations to run for a decent amount of time. Interesting. So when you make those, it sounds like those are, those are unique creatives you're making. They're not just like cut up longer videos. They're, they're brand new content. That's, can you clarify what do you mean by cut up? Uh, kind of both. They're new content, but the same concepts. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for I'll give you an example. Like right now, I work for e-commerce grocery business, right? So one thing that we 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 are doing is we might have some shots on like a certain merchandise or a certain product, right? And I could have one video that is really just focused on that single product for fifteen seconds. But then I can uh, because there are a bunch of four to five second shots of multiple different products, I can then mix and match and create a lot of different iterations where there is, I want to talk, I want a 15 second video that focuses on dessert or I want a video that focuses on both entree and dessert or a bunch of different videos that focus on snacks and dessert, right? So that combination allows me, gives me the ability to create a lot of different video, not just concept, the concept could be the focus of the what merchandise category we're targeting but at the same time it gives my creative team a lot less pressure of constantly having to come up with a fresh video or fresh concept and that way when we're looking at our creative sprints it's a lot easier for them to knock out assets for me on a monthly or weekly basis so that i can then continue to refresh them on my campaigns josh do you have any sort of in terms of like outstanding questions or have we have we addressed some of the and when i say we i mean more john and nebo but have we addressed some of the bigger questions or is there more should we go deeper into a specific area to try and address something or if there are any other outstanding issues should we tackle those yeah there are some other questions i'd love to cover i, I think we absolutely crushed the creative type question i'm kind of quiet i'm just thinking all these different things i could be doing now um, it's hard for me not to start like writing up a plan, but kind of, we already sort of touched on this, but one big question is as you scale through that, let's say hundred to a quarter million monthly spend range, what are the strategies that tend to stop working or things that tend to start working? So some of the things I've already heard from you guys is like statics tend to stop working and stop allowing you to scale. Um, and the AEO and VO performance may fall off a cliff or just become dangerous at that scale, if, it, if it's a high percentage of your spend. Are there any other things that stop or start working? Yeah, I, th I think with scale, like the number one thing is to be very cautious about the cost. I mean, you know, AU and VO might continue to work, uh, just like your RI will probably go down because of the cost. So make sure that you're always, you know, tracking the, the, the cost and making sure that it's not growing like exponentially. You know, uh, the good thing about scaling is that you'll have more information. So, like, you'll understand better which placements are working for you, whether it's, like, audience network or news feed or, uh, or messenger. Probably not. But, you know, like, you just have more data that you'll 
that will help you make kind of more uh, better decisions and uh, and potentially try kind of more granular targeting. So that's something that's a good thing of scaling. Uh, when you're scaling, especially because your game is kind of very, it's it's not like a global phenomenon. It it seems like it's known in like a few geos. You should kind of identify those geos and potentially group things together to kind of maintain the cost. Uh, group countries together to maintain the cost and make it easier for Facebook to learn. I think what's 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 happening in a lot of cases when um, companies scale their campaigns, they just create a ton of campaigns that end up uh, stuck in the learning phase, uh, and then as a result of that, your RI goes down and the cost goes up. So it's potentially better to to kind of group countries together and and make it easier for Facebook to learn and hit your goals sooner. And yeah, like the one, the last thing is that your creative production, you need to scale your creative production as well. So you need to make sure that creative fatigue is not like a big problem and that you have like a healthy influx of new creative every every week or month at the, uh, at the minimum. It might even be worthwhile to just group countries outside the U.S., uh, at, least outside, at least group countries outside the U.S., uh, except for like Canada, for example, into worldwide campaigns, just so that you have that... Um, kind of minimum criteria of scale uh, to go through the learning process. As you're scaling up your budget, uh, one thing that I've actually run into the situation before, but stand firm on your payback, stand firm on, because it's, it, it, it gets easy for you to tell yourself like, well, I'm making this much revenue. Maybe we shift from like 90 days to 120 days. Maybe we shift from 120 days to beyond. Stand firm on that um, because you have to measure it apples to apples when you're spending either 100K to 200K or maybe 500K a month. So that's one thing. Um, I did take a look at one of your questions about uh, user lists. And of course, like IDFA deprecation. It, I don't actually, I shouldn't say IDF, IDFA deprecation. It's more... Uh, user opt-out uh, is more of the more accurate statement. But I would be interesting to see how that impacts your programmatic campaigns um, because a lot of the programmatic algorithm is based on optimizing on the uh, device ID level so I, or the ad ID level. So I'm not sure how that would impact. Granted, please understand that no one has a good answer of how this is going to impact. We're, I, I think like Neve and I are both kind of sitting and waiting to see how things will be impacted in the next couple of months. But we know several things. We know that Facebook will likely be less impacted because Facebook has a lot of other means of identifying users across platforms, or across their properties. And so as long as you're collecting things like email or user information, you could continue to feed that into Facebook to manage your Facebook campaigns. A programmatic they don't really have that. And I don't know the match rate of emails in programmatic. I, I, I don't doubt, I, I don't think it's going to be as high as Facebook, for example. So it'd be interesting to see how those campaigns change over time. Yeah, I also think it might have a negative impact on ad monetization because Facebook won't be able to cherry pick impressions anymore, assuming that they don't know who the users are. Uh, that's something I'm researching right now. I don't still fully understand the impact, but like, just be aware of that. A potential good thing is that the CPIs might go down as a result of that because CPMs will go down. Uh, but, you know, it's good to have kind of healthy ad monetization as well just to make sure that you're not, not super dependent on on Facebook uh, and uh, and Google once the idea phase is gone. 
Yeah, I've got a question actually just related to being stuck in learning phase. So if there are a lot of product level changes, uh, you know, on, in, in, in the product, which seems like that's the case for, uh, for, for this game, does that, I mean, certainly on the campaign side, if you make changes that, that can, you know, get you back into, into, into learning phase, but on the product level, if you make big, you know, potentially like 30% change in ARPU curve or things like that, does that, does that get you back into learning phase as well? Uh, changes on the product side, I mean, they, so, um, not, not really. I mean, they, they, because what, what really um, uh, gets you out of the, uh, or gets you back in the learning phase is if you change something significantly on the campaign side, like change the budget, like for more than like 30% and or like a, a, a CPA, whatever your kind of target target cost is, it could help campaigns learn faster if you, for example, front-loaded more purchases, like, you know, if, if most of the purchases happen in the first day or in the first seven day, days, that will that would ha- help Facebook and Google learn faster. So that's something we tested and, you know, it, it worked in some cases, it didn't work in some cases, and it could potentially hurt you down the road uh, if you're too aggressive with monetization early. So my recommendation is just A-B test and see what's going to happen because um, no one really has the right answer to that. And Facebook keeps changing things all the time. I, I would say the opposite, interestingly, can be true, though. So I've had examples where, especially running pricing tests on early, th- on early um, IAPs and stuff like that, if you're skewing really hard towards AEO and VO, it can actually skew your results towards the more expensive and kind of things like that win when perhaps when you even out your ad spend, it actually wouldn't have won. Um, it's, it's another um, vote for multi-arm bandit stuff, I suppose, but so, it, I, I, Go ahead. Sorry, I, I wonder if there's a difference in terms of like how Facebook targets AEO and VO audiences, right? So there's a fundamental difference because if you think about it, e-commerce is probably buying AEO and uh, VO along with gaming and with e-commerce you're looking for buyers who pay within the first three days and they pay a lot and then so the purchases are uh if you from a gaming kind of like perspective you're essentially buying a bunch of whales that's consistently buying on a weekly or like bi-monthly basis whereas if you flip it on the other side and you're looking for people who let's say the purchases is heavier on the tail end of that seven-day look-back window, you might really be looking for a different user. Um, so you might not be competing directly, even though it's still VO and AEO and still competing within the purchaser pool, but the purchasing behavior within that pool, you might be able to carve out a different audience that you can target. Of course, you can't manually and you can't quantitatively know that, but I, I'm just curious, Like, is there any difference between even within the payer pool of the VO or AO audience, there is going to be different kind of opportunities for you to play around with where you go hard on your pricing or where you want to really get that user to uh, monetize. Because a lot of people want to front load purchases. And if you went the other way around, well, the Facebook algorithm look for fundamentally a different user for you. Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. Um, it's one of the things that, um, as we're looking to integrate uh, GameTune sometime soon, which is Unity Ads kind of map feature, 
it's something that we're kind of thinking about. What we have seen, um, and so far we have we don't have a great kind of definitive answer yet, but it definitely seems like um, the AEO campaigns, um, especially AEO purchase, tend to have a lot of people that make one purchase and it's just like remove ads. Whereas, so it's like three bucks and it's great, but it, it whatever. Whereas VO um, are more likely to actually buy the currencies, uh, which which bodes well, obviously. So that's it's one thing that we're starting to look into a little bit, but frankly, we aren't very sophisticated there yet. Okay. Well, I think in the interest of time, is there any last question or comments from you, John and Ebo? I think for me is that uh, just looking at your presentation and uh, your write-up and the way you're thinking about this, you're already incredibly sophisticated in terms of how you're approaching this. So there's that. I know a lot of the companies my, in my peer group that aren't even thinking about some of the things that you're thinking about. So I'm incredibly impressed by how you're even approaching this. And I think this is really going to be a springboard to how you can think about growth for a very uh, much longer period of time. So we're, we're talking about the next five years and keep at it. And I, I think from a creative perspective, Nebo and I are in love with creative because we really feel like that's the fundamentally the biggest lever you can pull. So play around with that and don't fall in love with your ideas. I, I think that's the biggest advice is with the creatives, never fall in love with your own ideas or what you think or with your own hypothesis. Really just test different things, even things that you don't think will work tested and let the data speak. And, and that's probably my biggest advice I can give today. Yeah, same here. I mean, also it's worth mentioning they're just a two person company, right? So a great, great job guys. Um, I mean, everything that John said, you know, when it comes to creative, just trust the process, believe in the process, not in a specific tactic. And yeah, I, my number one recommendation is, you know, just look at ad revenue and IP revenue separately, understand what's the impact of those on UA campaigns and that will, probably unlock a lot of new growth opportunities for you guys. Um, so I got to run. It was great talking to you guys. Um, right. And, you know, it's good being on another UA coffee talk. Yeah, Hi, awesome. Paul. Thank yeah. you guys so much for the kind words. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Hi, no Paul. problem. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. 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 Bye, guys.